Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan. We have an awesome show for you today. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind everyone that if you're enjoying our content, please make sure to give us a rating and review. And if you've already done that, make sure you tell some of your friends about the podcast available on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram as well as our Facebook page and group. Hit the link tree on our Instagram at any given you to get access to everything any given you. Well, what else can I say except that we just came off the single worst week this podcast has ever endured. We sprayed the board and the board sprayed back as we lost a dual match with the one and only Mr. Lyndon Kilcrease, an ardent member of the U crew. Congratulations to him, first off. We went four and seven on winners this week. We went one, three, and one on spreads, overs, and unders, and our season win percentage tumbled from nearly 72% down to 68% as we are now 91 and 43 on outright picks for 2021. But that's not what hurt the most this weekend. You see, what hurt the most was the supreme confidence that I had in the Georgia Bulldogs and their ability to finally exercise their demons and get that signature win over the Alabama Crimson Tide in Atlanta, thus bouncing them from the college football playoff and sending them back to hell or Alabama, take your prick, prick, pick, <laughs> sorry, take your pick, right? You pricks. Um, but no, no, history repeats itself as the Crimson Tide took the SEC championship again. So congratulations to you, Alabama, as the SEC champs. I, let's just get started there in an attempt to explain exactly what the hell happened in this game. Coming in, the Bulldogs were six-and-a-half-point favorites. We liked them to take the win. We took it at six. Uh, We thought that there was a potential this could be a close game, but final score in this one, Alabama 41, Georgia 24. It was the same score as when the two collided in Tuscaloosa back in 2020. I think Saban's preparation coming into this contest is something that really needs to be highlighted here. I felt like this game was won on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday as opposed to actually on Saturday. We saw the Crimson Tide elect to go with a reshuffled offensive line. They brought in backup center and then took out Damian George from right tackle, reshuffled that offensive line to put four starters and one backup in, and it worked to their advantage. I think... Alabama understood what it was that they needed to do in this contest. What they needed to do was keep their nerve center of their team protected, which of course is Bryce Young. I think they understood that the run game in and of itself was an afterthought. And the simple equation was Bryce Young plus elite receiver equals points. And that is something that Alabama understood very well. And I think Georgia was a little bit late uh, a little bit late to that equation right there, or not not quite realizing it. I think it was genius. It was a genius bit of coaching done, and I have to spray the credit towards Nick Saban. I, I believe that Nick Saban was probably just instrumental in this one. I, I felt like I liked the coordinator matchups in George's favor in this contest. This one just had the stink of Saban all over it. Uh, I just, I think he's still two steps ahead of Kirby. 
and 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 uh, and, it, and it showed it showed in in this game. Something else that Alabama did besides protecting Bryce Young really well with that reshuffled offensive line and picking up blitzes and everything else was the fact that also they stayed in a base offense and they didn't substitute. When Georgia came out for first down, they had big personnel, and I think they gave too much emphasis again to the run game. Once again, something that Nick Saban wasn't worried about winning on the day because that's not how Alabama was going to get done. I think he understood that throwing those haymakers was the way that it was going to go if they were going to have success, if they were going to have a shot at winning. It was about putting up points and being explosive down the field and hitting in barrages, and that's exactly what they did. They had a 24-point second quarter after falling back 10 to nothing to, to start early in the game. And so um, I think that's something that was just fundamentally understood by them that, again, Georgia just – just behind, you know, it's a chess and checkers kind of matchup sometimes between Nick Saban and, and Kirby. And these two coaches are well affiliated with each other. And it's just, it's what, what else can you say, man? There's not a lot of people that beat Nick Saban in Alabama, you know, anyway. And so, you know, hats off to them. I think it exposed a lot of, uh, a lot of things on tape. There's going to be some things I feel like Georgia may be a more dangerous team coming out of this one, having actually seen, uh, you know, where their flaws are at schematically and everything else, and, and maybe some things to account for and, and, and work on in, the, in, the, in potentially what could be the next contest between them. But the dogs do have a tough contest in Michigan. As, and so does Al- Alabama has one in Cincinnati too. Now, some good things for UGA. They did put up 450 yards of offense. They moved the ball, but they, they didn't finish, right? Notice I didn't say couldn't finish. They didn't finish. I, I I feel like the plays were there. It's just one or two mental lapses, some guys out of position, some errant throws really kind of hurt their chances there. Also, another good positive for the dogs, UGA actually stopped Alabama on five of their possessions, and they had three consecutive stops in the second half, but again, they didn't capitalize on it. Now, Thoughts to wrap this one up. Like I said earlier, Saban is still two steps ahead of Kirby. This Alabama performance has Nick's trademark stamp all over it. And Georgia was just hit with a reality check. And the reality is, it's not them and then everybody else. They're in the big boy bracket now. If you're a Georgia fan, this is the one you'd rather lose at the end of the day. So a little bright spot there, I guess. But... Now that the dogs are in the playoffs and they're set to take on the Michigan Wolverines in the Orange Bowl and Bama's set to face, you know, the Cincinnati Bearcats in the Cotton Bowl, as much as this loss may hurt and as good as Alabama fans may feel coming off of this one, the gloves are off now and everybody's in the same boat and it is win in advance or it's lose and go home. Nothing is guaranteed. However, if you were to ask me if I think we'll see this game played again for all the marbles, I'd t- as of today, I'd say yes. So very much looking forward to see what these two teams do in the playoff as the Tide took the contest in Atlanta. Michigan put the screws to Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. We knew that was coming, and it was coming in hot as we previewed. And like we said, Iowa is a team that tries to do what Michigan does, 
but with lower quality materials. There is a huge gap in roster talent between these two programs, particularly at the quarterback and skill positions. Michigan actually had so much success moving the ball that they ended up pushed. Uh, it was a push on our under 45. It was a total of 45 scored in the, in the game. The Wolverines scored 42 of those points against the stingy Hawkeyes defense. I didn't catch a whole lot of this game being so dejected from having watched the disaster in Atlanta, <laughs> but uh, a couple of thoughts do stick out to me here. Aiden Hutchinson had another fantastic performance as I thought he would. He had a sack and four tackles on the day. This kid is really good. Uh, he's the uh, son of former Michigan great Chris Hutchinson, and he, like his dear old dad, has a way of playing best and shining brightest in the biggest moments. He's a Heisman finalist set to go to New York, and he'll present a significant challenge to Georgia in their semifinal matchup. Another thing that stuck out to me about this game is how much Michigan was on attack mode. They even busted out a couple gadget plays, which was interesting. I've been trying to make sense of why you do that ahead of the playoff, but I think I have an answer or at least one that makes sense to me. I believe it was Harbaugh's intention to jump out to a big lead by any means necessary in this contest as Iowa has been one of the more composed teams this year. They're used to playing in you know these low-scoring slugfests and being in those kinds of contests. I think the rationale here was to get them down big early, knowing full well Iowa isn't built for a high-scoring affair or a comeback and has largely benefited from teams being timid against their secondary. Michigan didn't buy the boogeyman tails from Iowa's turnover-forcing defense and attack them outright with their better athletes, and that's what happened. I don't think... This had to do with style points as much as it had to do with just staying aggressive and snuffing out Iowa's will to compete, and that is what Michigan did in this one. Moving on to the American Conference Championship game, the Bearcats smacked Houston 35-20. They covered two for us, thank God. Uh, What really sticks out to me about this Cincinnati team is their ability to get up for these big-time matches. This squad is 22-1 over the last two seasons, and the only loss coming at the hands of, you guessed it, Georgia Bulldogs in their BCS Bowl game last year. And again, I maintain that Cincinnati actually blew that win (laughs) with poor clock management in the the, uh, last couple minutes of that game. Now, another thing that jumps out to me on the tape about this team is their tendency to make the most of their opportunities when, when, and really put opponents away in these must-win scenarios. They, they really have a, a way of snowballing their opponents when they make mistakes. We saw them turn the momentum against Indiana after forcing and recovering a fumble and a goal line stand. We saw them do the same thing with a red zone interception versus Notre Dame. They blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown on their way to blowing out East Carolina. And against Houston, they forced another takeaway to take a 28-13 lead in the second half and salt away the win. This, This team finishes opponents in big games. That's what they do. Their secondary is incredibly talented, plays with a lot of effort and smarts and continuity. This team's been together for a while. And when their defense presents opportunities, their offense often capitalizes. Now, this is a very good team regardless of strength of schedule. Now, 
for the bad part. They just drew Alabama in the playoff, which we all know you get Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide this close to a championship. They usually have a way of you know, finishing it off with confetti falling and, and, a, and a celebration and a parade and everything else. What? Uh... Sorry, I just spilled my drink. That sucks. What concerns me for this squad is their talent in depth and offensive line play and the simple fact that I believe that the 2020 Cincinnati squad was better. Um, so we'll see how they match up against Alabama, although I will say that secondary for Cincinnati could give the Tide a little bit of issues, especially with wide receiver John Mechie not being available for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. So it, it's an interesting matchup to take a look at. We'll see how long Cincinnati can hang in there. If they can pull the upset outright, I'd be very, very surprised. But it is an interesting matchup and really looking forward to seeing that one as well as you know, obviously the competition between Georgia and Michigan. Oklahoma State versus Baylor proved again that quarterback play can undo a great defense, but not in the way Alabama versus Georgia demonstrated that statement. The QB play I'm referring to is that of Cowboys quarterback Spencer Sanders as he managed to throw the ball to Baylor four times in this contest. Now for me, this was actually the most frustrating game I watched this past weekend and that is saying something. The better team did not win here. When I got the news that Baylor quarterback Gary Bohannon wasn't making the start at kickoff, I thought that his injury would impact the game in a profound way, but that wasn't the most noticeable absence on the day. I wish I had live bet this one because Oklahoma State's starting running back Jalen Warren was announced as unavailable shortly after the first quarter. Mike Gundy played that news pretty close to the chest, and that was something that had I known prior, I would have likely switched my pick in this game. Everything Oklahoma State does offensively starts with success in the run game, and Oklahoma State's second string running back was just not up to the task against Baylor's stout defensive front. This put Sanders in a position to have to try to beat Baylor's defense that managed to pick him off three times in their first contest, you know, with his arm, even with Sanders's multiple turnovers in this one, which there were four interceptions, the Cowboys defense managed to hold Baylor to 21 points and shut the Bears out in the second half. In fact, all of Baylor's points were a result of short fields created by turnovers. The culmination of this game really upset me. That's what really pissed me off in this one. Ugh, oh boy. I And I feel... I think it really did set the universe in motion for my horrendous week of picks. Oklahoma State had four chances from inside the one-yard line, and they were stuffed. They were stuffed on two consecutive rushing attempts, and then they dialed up Sanders going into the shotgun, and he whiffed on a bootleg pass attempt. It's a play I would have never called personally. I know I'm not usually very critical of coaching calls and play calls on this podcast, but that one was just stupid. And and I, I, that, that's it. I mean, that just drove me nuts. And then the final play was a desperate attempt at a pylon dive that came up short with uh, you know a stretch play to the outside. <sighs> Sanders was under center for the first two running plays, which begs the question in my head, at least, was a quarterback sneak even considered? Sanders 
did demonstrate some tough running earlier in the contest, and I was frustrated, personally frustrated, again, with the modern game and the unwillingness to go with the unsexy selection of a quarterback sneak. But I know it's not pretty, but it's effective, man. And, you know, if you're going to put a quarterback under center on, like, the half-yard line, I think that that's a no-brainer call. And at least something to just mix in there and give it a shot. Have the backs come up, push them in, push the tush, put them in the end zone. So I, I don't know. But Baylor held on for the win. Awesome season and a Big 12 championship for Dave Aranda in the Baylor Bears. Congratulations. The ACC championship game. That was another swing and a miss. Self-admittedly, I was I actually felt the least confident in this pick. We rolled with Wake on a prayer that some fluky ACC nonsense would happen, and if this game became a shootout, we liked Wake's chances. And at the half, it really did look like it might have the makings of that, as it was 24-21 pit, but alas, the Panthers came out and dominated the second half, actually pitched a shutout uh, against Wake Forest to take the contest. In this game, I think the most interesting thing that happened in this game was Kenny Pickett's run that was all over the internet. Um, Kenny Pickett, quarterback for Pitt, takes off on a scramble, and it appears that he's going to go into a slide, so the defense kind of hesitates for a moment, but it's a fake slide, and then he you know, continues to jet down the sideline for a touchdown. There's been a lot of consternation over this one as a lot of people have felt that a loophole in the game has been exposed. And I sort of, I agree with them actually 100%. Given the modern game, given the way that these rules have gone, rule changes, everything has gone to protect quarterbacks, protect offenses, uh, penalize defenses in almost every single way. When you take advantage of something like that as a loophole, it's supposed to a play designed to protect the quarterback. I feel like there needs to be some sort of amendment for that. That that shouldn't be allowed. I mean, we saw you know the Deion Sanders rule. You start to go down to take a knee. You you know have to complete that, and you can't you know fake that and then take off on a kick return or punt return. Um, no fake, you know, fake fair catch, none of that. You know, that th- these were things that people used to do and used to get away with, you know, for plays that are and rules that are designed to protect the players. I feel like, you know, at the very least, the player should be down at the spot where he starts his fake slide and that's where the ball should be marked. Um, there are some folks that consider you know that should be a 15 yard unsportsmanlike penalty or a loss of down or something like that I don't know but I think it has now exposed another loophole in the game that I hope that the NCAA and I hope that football in general uh, you know will now address maybe the picket rule may be coming in uh, coming in hot but yeah I you know for 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 rule changes that are designed to literally protect you as an offensive player and you use that against the defense, I think that that, that was kind of chicken shit. Um, although smart, you know, very intelligent, but just, yeah, you know, I don't like it. I, I don't like it at all. So I hope they I hope they do something to fix that. I really have a few more thoughts on this dumpster fire weekend. App State and San Diego State both got debunked. Um, uh, you know, and, and they debunked my thoughts really on, on how I felt the advantage would lay in this contest or these two contests, I should say, as 
I was leaning more toward the teams that played solid defense and had the ability to get physical up front. And I, I alluded to this on the previous episode, which I just wish I could go back and delete, but it's out there. People have already heard it. But I, I thought that the 50,000-foot perspective was that this was the year of defense and special teams and field position, and it was really going to sort of negate some of this more modern offensive stuff. And that just wasn't the case, especially in the case of San Diego State and Utah State. Versus teams that were relying more heavily on the pass and spread concepts, you know, I really did feel like San Diego State at home would have the advantage. But Utah State torched the Aztecs 46-13 to at home. This was even uglier and more shocking than what happened to the Georgia defense in Atlanta. San Diego State was taken completely out of their game plan and identity as explosive play after explosive play landed flush on their face. I can't say enough about the job that Blake Anderson, that's Utah State's head coach, has done out there in year one. Certainly, I think he's my pick for the Mountain West Coach of the Year. He should probably win that award as well. Louisiana, uh, to talk about the Sun Belt uh, Conference Championship game, Louisiana was physical enough to limit App State's rushing attack. And quarterback Chase Bryce for the Mountaineers, he just wasn't potent enough to to mount any kind of offense. Louisiana didn't blow App State out of the water. They didn't even blow them out. But from the reviews of this game and, and what folks have said, people have said it never really felt close as the Raging Cajuns simply kept the Mountaineers at arm's distance the entire contest and, well, effectively made for a pretty boring Sun Belt Championship game. So I'm glad I didn't catch that one. And that pretty much takes us through this, you know, again, abysmal week of championship games. Let's talk a little bit of coaching carousel for a second. This weekend, or I should say this week, the coaching carousel has continued to spin. I haven't seen coach movement like this ever as a staggering 28 FBS jobs have come open during this season. And it isn't over yet. As this week, former Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal is heading to Miami as the next head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. This will be Mario's second stint at the U as a coach. He was also formerly the uh, head coach at, uh, at FIU as well. There's a lot of folks who don't understand this move from a 50,000-foot perspective as Oregon has has been seen as the much better job than Miami right now. But for me, it makes perfect sense. And for Miami, this makes perfect sense. Cristobal was the guy that you wanted and the only candidate that was going to get the sizable financial backing from not one, but two billionaire investors that have come on. They were uh, old old buddies, old old colleagues of Mario Cristobal, and they they have both opened their wallets and pledged money to the to the Miami program. Plus, Miami has pledged a virtually unlimited budget from funding through their School of Medicine. Now, Mario's salary is said to be in the neighborhood of eight million per year, about which is highly competitive in the coaching salary market. But I. I think it's the program's investment that really sunk the hook. It's the investment in the program itself. Remember, Oregon is backed by Nike 
and also has a virtual blank check budget for whatever the program is asking for. Miami wants to win, simple and plain, and their understanding is that this shit ain't free, and it's the modern game. This is in the 80s, and this is in the 90s. The recruiting trail is brutal, and what you're not willing to pump into your program financially will directly determine what caliber of recruit you land and how many of them you're landing. As for Coach Cristobal himself, he's widely regarded as one of the finest recruiters in the game, and he has had to do it on a national scale as Oregon, the state of, is not exactly a talent hotbed. He's in the 305 now. He played at Miami for a national title. He's a Miami guy through and through. And honestly, I would be shocked. I Well, no, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I should say, you know, I would not be shocked at all to see him have success at his alma mater, something similar to what Kirby Smart has been able to do at Georgia. I feel like he'll generate some really quick interest and groundswell. He knows how to flip a culture and build for sustained success. So the next question is, who in the hell will be taking Oregon? Some reports have surfaced recently that a familiar face may show up in Eugene and that could arrive in the form of Chip Kelly. He has entered the conversation. I'm excited to see if that's actually going to materialize. If that does happen, it's just another crazy headline and what has already shaped up to be an insane coaching carousel and one hell of a football season as we have come down the stretch here. We have America's game this week. It's Army. It's Navy. The Black Knights, the Midshipmen, the Prisoner Exchange. So much triple option, it'll make your freaking head spin. 60 minutes of hard-hitting, bone-rattling, freedom football. Go Army, beat Navy. Go Navy, beat Army. And these two ancient foes will do just that at MetLife Stadium in New York this Saturday. Enemies on the gridiron, brothers on the battlefield, and I cannot wait to preview this game a little later this week. We're dropping the preview and predictions for this one, as well as handing out some Any Given You awards here at Season's End, so make sure that you don't miss that episode on Friday. And hey, if you enjoyed what you've heard here today, then please do us a favor and subscribe and follow the podcast. Five-star ratings are also appreciated, or at least tell a few of your friends about the podcast. They can catch us on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at any given you as the handle. Hit the link tree to get access to everything any given you. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, get it at any given you.